0: Church, Good to be with you guys this morning and welcome, welcome, welcome again to uh, kind of a new series we kicked off here last week. We've titled it Divided We Stand. And what we're doing over the next series of months is doing a deep dive into some of the deepest themes of the Christian experience and how we express our Christian faith in the world. That is the whole heart. Now, last week, when we kind of kicked off the series, we started high orbit. We looked at the big story of God, right? That we are all immersed in a story that's been unfolding for thousands of years. And so we saw that big story. But we did that so that we would then understand how John intersects uh, kind of our story into God's story, how John intersected with the story that God was telling in the person of Christ and how that impacts our lives. And so that's kind of the spirit of it. So this week we're kind of starting to kind of pick our way through the details of how John understands that story. And my plan originally was to make it from verse one to verse 10, But I'm slow, so we're making it to verse 4 today. That's the plan. That's how far, that's how slow we're going to pick our way through this text, right? But the heart behind it is to figure out how we stand divided. But I want to be clear about that because I get a little nervous with the title of that nature that people will start to think, oh, our job then is to be divisive or in some way trying to be set apart for negative intentions, know the heart behind this whole series is not that we as a people of faith would be divided against our world but rather we as a people of faith would be divided for the sake of our world in other words our job isn't to be divided so we can condemn it but rather we would be divided so we can love it serve it care for it, bring flourishing to it. That is the heart behind this whole series because when we look at John's letters, as much as we look at John's gospel, we will see that his theme is love. It's profoundly about love. God so loved he gave and he gave Christ to us so that we would then in turn love as Christ loved and man, that's gonna be so much the heart that he's getting at in this particular set of letters that we are studying. And so that's the heart that we are trying to approach this with. Because we're understanding how we are a part of God's unfolding story and how God uses us to spread that story. So, with that, I wanna give you a quick reminder that we have an app that you probably won't be able to open today if you try to get on our Wi Fi around here, because this is not working, right? But if you have cell service and you can get it inside this building and get onto our app, there's notes along in there. That'd be great. There's questions in the app as well with those notes. If you ever want to follow up after our talk on Sunday, that's a great way to do it too. But uh, again, just a tool that we give so that you can follow along so you can use it and reflect on that which we are studying together today. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we're diving right into chapter one. All right, let's go ahead and do it together. Jesus, I thank you that you are the dispenser of love that you define love for us, that you embody love for us, that you teach us what it means to authentically love in this world. And so as we go through this, this letter or series of letters from John over the next few months, I pray that what resonates with us is that notion that you have left us in this space, on this planet, to represent you well, and that we would do that. That we would do it because in doing so, man, it bonds us even more closely to you. It fills us with joy and it unleashes in us abundant life. And not just life for ourselves, but life for those around us. So help us to be excited about that which you are excited about. Help us to fall in love with with that which you so deeply love. And we look to you to be our strength and our guide in all that we do. And so Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. And we love you in your good and perfect name. Amen. All right. So last week when we started into this whole thing, I noted that the epistle of 1 John or the letter of 1 John is kind of an odd work to the New Testament. And in many ways it functions as kind of like a Commentary on his gospel, right? So at the front of the Christian New Testament, we have the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And then way toward the back of the Christian New Testament, we have these letters or these works of John. And 1 John is weird because it reads less like a letter and it reads more like a blog entry or a blog post for the masses. That's sort of the heart. So it doesn't have an initial audience. He doesn't say from John to these people. He just sort of dives in and begins saying things rooted in what he's written about when it comes to the life of Jesus in his gospel. And part of the proof that it's more of a blog and less of a letter comes in the very first words that he pens And so if you're taking notes with us this morning, it's the first point in your notes, and that is that John's Jesus is the source of life revealed. See, I I, I kind of write this as saying John's Jesus because I, I want to be clear that what we read here is deeply personal and passionate for John. So, for example, when we read Matthew's gospel, I think we see Matthew's Jesus. In other words, we're seeing the Jesus that deeply moved Matthew. And so he writes. Or Luke, he goes and gathers all this information from eyewitnesses about people that walked in, with Jesus and, and, and heard from Jesus and lived alongside of Jesus, and then from that he's so moved. He writes what he learns about. So I, I don't want us to think, again, the writers are just sort of like historians that are scribbling ideas that are just all about facts, but rather they're deeply impressed by what they see, what they know, and what they've experienced, and that's very much John. Now, as we kind of jump into this, as we try to leap into his words, I I think we have to pause for a second and understand both the uh, setting, or maybe even a better word would be the concern, that has driven John to write, and then from the concern, the tone that I believe he writes in. Like, I think these are important, right? Background, and then kind of the essence of what spills out on the page, Now, when it comes to his concern, or the problem, we might say, um, this is a little challenging. And so I'm just admitting, like, Bible's over here, Matt's over here. To reconstruct that, we have to speculate a little bit, right? Because we don't have all the details we want. We don't have all the knowledge that we want on the subject. But if we kind of weave through the text, if we try to understand the wording that he uses, uh, it seems that what he's dealing with is that there was this Christian community, There was a group of people that started following Jesus in light of this community. But then at some point, some members of that community start to deconstruct who Jesus is. And they start to reconstruct a new vision of who Jesus is. So they're like, I know we learned about some stuff, but now we're learning about some new stuff. And we think the old stuff isn't right and the new stuff is right. And that seems to be a part of the problem that John is beginning to uh, deal with. Now, again, we're not certain exactly what the issues were, but if we give our best guess, it seems that this reconstructed new vision had a couple of different elements. One is they would look at Jesus and they would say, man, we believe that Jesus was very divine, but we're not so sure how human Jesus really was. So this group starts thinking he's not both God and man, but he's more God, less man. And therefore, they had more of this focus on his divinity than his humanity. And that seems to be one of the problems because John's like, no, he has to be both 100% for us to really get what this good news is all about. So that's problem A. Problem B is it seems this same group started saying, and in light of what Jesus did on the cross, how he forgave our sins, we're sinless people now. We have no sin. We're perfect in our standing in Christ. And so they're erring a lot on their position in Christ, but failing to realize that in practice, they still struggle, they still battle, they still need strength and energy and forgiveness from Christ. They were just like, no, our position, we're perfect because our God is just God divine and never was human. Like all of that seems to be the mess. And so John then sees this problem Because from this, people are getting kind of pulled into the middle. They're getting torn in different ways. There's division. There's brokenness. People are siding up and tearing down. And so John writes this to step into this mess where faith in Jesus and fellowship based on that faith is now all at risk. That seems to be the problem that says, I'm going to write my blog now. That's the heart. With this, though, I believe it gives us a sense of his tone as he opens his blog post here. And so you would assume with a problem of that magnitude that his tone would then be angry or fearful or frustrated or worried in some capacity. But I actually find when it opens that the tone is more like frantically excited, passionate, effervescent. It's like this rambling, driving thing that I would say is very much in the spirit of Buddy the Elf all right you're gonna to have to stick with me for a second i'll try to make sense of this all right so it's not a letter as much as it is a blog and he jumps right into writing his blog with these words as seen in the new living translation which is the version we use on sunday mornings here and it starts beautifully he says in verse 1 of chapter 1 we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. Now, when you see that on the screen and I read that to you, it's beautiful. It's poetic, poetic. It has harmony attached to it. And you can even see in there, there's a bit of a nod to John's gospel, chapter 1. Back then... He said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was the light and the life of men. And then that word came into the world and became flesh and he dwelt among us. It's like this really great tribute to the fact that Jesus was God, eternal and forever and ever and ever. But then he came into our world as a human being to touch our lives and change our condition. It's this great tribute. But when we read this, in John, it reads a little different in its original language than in our language. So for example, when we read it in the New Living Translation, if this was Mrs. Abbott's sophomore English class, and she reads this, she's like, this is brilliant. It's so vivid and colorful. You have so many descriptors in there, John. I love this work so much. He puts an A plus at the top, circles it. Great job, John. But John didn't write it in English. He wrote it in Greek. That was his language of the day. And when we step in to translate from Greek to English, we, we run into this challenge. And the challenge is we go, man, John's grammar here is a little, little broken. And the syntax is a little strange. And it's just kind of rambling, and bouncing and there's not a lot of order or rhythm to what he's saying in the first like verse and a half and everything else and the reason I think this happens is not because John is bad at grammar but because he is buddy the elft this whole thing that's what I think it is now you're like okay how do I put this together now let me help you um, if you have not seen the great Christmas classic elf I would like to say first off, congratulations on escaping North Korea, all right? Because (laughs) if you haven't seen it, it's because clearly you've been in North Korea your whole life, you've been sheltered, no freedom, no abilities, you see the great Christmas classic. So the first thing you should do with your freedom, go watch Buddy the Elf, go watch Elf before Christmas comes again, right? It's a great Christmas movie. But if you've not seen it for whatever reason, here's the basic idea. So uh, Santa goes to this house, And this little baby crawls inside Santa's sack, and he ends up getting taken up to the North Pole. So it's this human little baby gets taken away to the North Pole, and there he's raised by Santa and the elves. And he has this simple mind and a simple heart and a simple spirit, but eventually he grows up to be Will Ferrell. That's what he grows up to be. All right. And then he says, I need, I need to go find out who my real family is, my real father in the human world. So Buddy the Elf goes to the regular human world, and there he gets a job at a department store, and he hears that the next day Santa's coming to do pictures with the kids. Now, Buddy doesn't realize that this Santa is a rent-a-Santa. This Santa smells like beef and brandy. He doesn't know that yet. He thinks it's the real Santa. So when they tell Buddy, hey, Santa's going to come tomorrow, his expression is, I know him. I know him. It's Santa, everybody. I know him, right? That's his energy. Hold that energy for just a minute, all right? Here's John. He hears that people are saying, Jesus wasn't who you've told us he was and Jesus isn't who you claim him to be and Jesus won't be the one that we are looking for he's not the Christ that we were told he is like all of this is what John hears and so from this he grabs his pen he grabs his paper and I think with enthusiasm passion excitement and buddy the elfidness, he writes a d minus work that is a plus in heart all right here's how it literally reads in Greek what was from the beginning What have we heard? What have we seen with our eyes? What have we perceived? What have we touched? We proclaim about the word of life, the life appeared and we testify we've seen, we testify, we proclaim the eternal life. He's like, man, I can't even do really good syntax. I'm too excited. It's a run-on sentence. Notice all of those what, 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 what. You know what he doesn't have? A question mark, right? He's just like, you got to know. He's like, ah, I, I touched, I saw, I walked, I experienced. He's life, life eternal. He's life that is the word. He's life abundant. Like, he just can't contain himself at this point. So he's looking at these people that are like, eh, I don't know, bro. And he's like, what? Didn't, did your mom drop you on your heads, you fools? Man, I'm telling you, what I experienced and what is, is reality. He's like, I listened to him, I gazed upon him, I learned from him, I touched him. I can't make this stuff up, I can't shut up about it. Why? Because he is the word that is life itself. He is the essence of life appeared. He's life everlasting, like he's so excited. In fact, one of my favorite shows is Ted Lasso. And I feel like John's like Danny Rojas, right? Danny Rojas, football is life. And here's John, Jesus is life. He's like the Danny Rojas of the Bible. I love it. I love his heart. I love his passion. I love his excitement for all of this. And so with this, he's like, man, if you don't think Jesus is who we say he is because we've experienced it, then you all are cuckoo, kachoo. You've missed it completely. That's how moved he is. I love the spirit. See, this is why we say as a church that life is better with Jesus. We're saying it because this is John saying it, right? He's like, Jesus defines life. Jesus infuses life. He is the essence of real living. And this makes sense to me because when we learned the big story last week, we said that God made a world to be inhabited And according to John, Jesus is the very God that made the world to be inhabited. So it's no wonder then that that same God comes into the world to restore that which was lost because he wants us to have abundant life, full life, rich life. Not just biological life, but this existential sense of life. And we lost access to the real depths of life when we were banished from Eden in Genesis chapter 3 and shoved to the east and thrown into the wilds. But then Jesus says, I'm going to go into the wilds of that world. I'm going to enter into the east of Eden environment and I'm going to bring that tree of life thing anew in the lives of those who know me because he is life, the word of life, life appeared and life eternal. Thus from John as he explodes into this opening. He talks about not just that Jesus was revealed, but number two in your notes, that this Jesus that he knows is the source of life exported, brought from heaven to earth. Verse 2b says he was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. So, so John's trying to link together this idea that he was with God, and he is God, and then he came to be with us mere mortals. To show us who God is and to show us the essence of this life. And so he's transplanting heaven into earth. He's transplanting this relationship with God into this relationship with us. That's how he understands it. And this revealing that he's doing is kind of multifaceted. I say multifaceted because it's to us and it's for us. But it's also through us. And that means it presses beyond us. Like, all of this is intended in the spirit of what John's trying to put together here. And so that takes us into number three in your notes. John's Jesus is the source of life experienced. And experienced in community and for community. That's the heart. So he goes into verse three. He says, we proclaim to you, that which we ourselves have actually seen and heard. So he's still kind of on his buddy, the elf kick. I know him, I know him, right? That's where he's at. But he's emphatic in what the purpose is for this. Like, like, why, did, why do we push this? Why do we preach this? Why did Jesus come do this? He says, well, I'm telling you all of this so that, so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship was with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, here's what I want you to understand about what he's getting at here. He's not telling them this information for the sake of facts. Like he's just trying to ground them in some apologetic argument. We saw him, we hung with him, we heard from him, we we touched him. He's not just doing it for the sake of like proofs. He's doing it for fellowship's sake. He's doing it for community's sake. He's doing it for relationship's sake. And that's why I say it's multifaceted. This idea of our fellowship with God, our fellowship with one another, it serves more than one function. It has a depth and a gravitas to it. Here's one aspect of fellowship that John wants his community to understand. It's 3A in your notes. Fellowship is to be seen as both oneness and witness. Our fellowship isn't just about us enjoying each other and that's all. No, it's our oneness, yes, but our oneness for the purpose also of witness to the world around us. In his gospel, he records a prayer of Jesus. And Jesus prayed this. He says, I pray, Father, that they, my followers, will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that, same phrase, so that, the world will believe that you sent me. He says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I want to make this really clear. And I hope this gives us encouragement more than it just makes us feel like, oh, geez, you know. But but I think the heart behind why God creates a community of faith, why he creates the church, is so that we would embody this thing that God is giving to the world, and we would then transport that into the world around us. Right? So God intended this for Israel, right? He's like, I'm gonna set you apart as a nation for the nations, not to be against the nations, but to be divided out. Why? To be a light to the nations. To bring blessing to the nations. And then Israel says, no, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to do our own thing. And so Jesus shows up and is like, okay, we're going to reboot the plan. I'm going to do this with a group of people. I'm going to call it the church. And the church is to embody a oneness for the sake of witness. And so practically speaking then, I look at this and I go, if we can't get our crap together in here, then how can we help the world get its crap together out there? Right? Like this is kind of some of the essence of it. Right? Right? If, if we can't be a community of healing and hope and help together, how can we then go out to the world and do that thing out there? See, this is the, the, the barb in the whole thing that I think is important to understand. And I don't mean it to make it like a downer, but, but we have to realize that then fellowship is a horizontal plane. So it's in part the church, but it's also the church's relationship to the world. And and I think this is important because, again, it, it goes back to this idea that this is why we want to work so hard and pray so hard and submit ourselves to Jesus so intently because what we want to do in these spaces of fellowship is we want to be a people of true peace, of true forgiveness, erring on the side of grace, right? Going the extra mile for one another, being patient with one another, loving toward one another, not holding grudges toward one another, Because if if we can't do this as Jesus' people, how, how could we ever bring Jesus to the people? Because what they need to see is that there's really something different about this. It's not just another religious creed and a set of rules, but there's life transformation. And I believe that that's John's heart. Right, that that we would be so in tune with Christ, so tethered to him, that we are a different kind of community. And it's not about just our right to worship, but rather our right to be like Jesus so the world can see what Jesus is really like. That's why our fellowship is so important. Now, I want to be clear as a pastor here at Redemption Church, um, you guys are awesome at this, actually. I sincerely mean that. Like when I say this, I I, I don't want you to be like, oh, so Matt doesn't think we're that kind of community. No, I really do think we're that kind of community. I think we're a place where there is true peacemaking. And we've seen since our inception and even before, there's always been great peace within our community of faith. Uh, It's a place that errs on the side of grace. It's a place that wants to really live out this idea that life is better with Jesus. But I'll also be honest I think we are paddling upstream from a reputation in our culture. Like, we have to all the more kind of double down on this heart of believing that life is better with Jesus and leaning into him because we're trying to disrupt stereotypes where people go, man, the church, that's not a safe place. The church is not a healing place. The church is not a loving place. It's a judgmental place. It's a hostile place. Like, there's just these bad vibes that people have, and we have to show them something different. Because if they can't see Jesus in us, they're not going to see Jesus. And I'll hear sometimes Christians say, you know what, hey man, don't look at me, look at Jesus. And my thing is, they can't look at Jesus without looking at us. It's not like this thing that's easy to do. Like they go, I can segregate out. Jesus is people from Jesus, you know. No, the only way they're really going to see Jesus is through us. And so this is where John is trying to move us and encourage us and remind us that fellowship is the way that our mission is accomplished. And mission can't be accomplished apart from a healthy type of fellowship. And so on the horizontal, man, we get it. It's imperative for us to be this difference-making community. But here's the other thing about this. I don't think we can do this in our own strength. I know I can't. Right? I'm still too self-interested and selfish and all these kinds of things. So it takes a power from beyond myself to then live out this thing that we're encouraged to do. It has to come from God to us and through us to go beyond us. And so that's John's other encouragement. It's 3B in your notes. It's fellowship is empowerment. Fellowship must come from God and us as well as from us to the world around us. Again, looking at John's gospel, he encourages this. He gives us kind of the secret to seeing this happen. He says in John 15, this is Jesus speaking. He says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me, so remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commandments, and I remained in his love. Now, there's a lot there, but if I looked at the root of it, or maybe more to the point, the vine of it, because that's the idea, what Jesus is saying is, man, I'm the source of life. And so if you want to really live effectively, if you want to live in light and live in love and live in truth, these things that we're going to see as we go through 1 John, we realize it's not because we white-knuckle it so, but rather because we stay tethered to him. We daily find our nourishment from his code and call sign and heart and doing it. We, we stay so deeply connected to Jesus in a moment-by-moment way, it pours out then into our lives. Now you go, great, Matt, well, how do I do that? Well, according to Jesus, fruitful living here is rooted in this deep connection to knowing you are loved by God and Jesus, and then remaining in sync with that. Now you go, great, well, then how do I do that, right? Well, here, Jesus says, we do the stuff that God wants us to do. We do the stuff that God wants us to do. He called it remaining in God's love, right? And he says, obeying God's commands is remaining in God's love somehow. But here's where I want to be clear. I want to catch your attention for just a second. Um, We do this. We remain in God's love or we obey his commands, not for law's sake. We do it for love's sake. Because there's a difference. I want you to hear that. There's a difference between doing things for the sake of law and doing things for the sake of love. I want to give you an example of this. Last Tuesday was Valentine's Day. And if you have a significant other or a partner and you blew that, you know it was Valentine's Day. But here's the thing. Imagine if God was there in heaven and St. Valentine was chilling with him. He's like, dude, you got a day. He goes, I know, crazy, right? It's wild how I got a day at St. Valentine. Guy goes, I got a great idea. Every Valentine's Day, let's give every set of partners in the world the ability to read each other's minds for that day. And when they read each other's mind, they can find out what the motivation was for the gift giving that was done, right? So, my wife and I, right? Got my wife flowers and a card and everything else. But imagine if she could read my mind on my motives. And my motives were, I'm scared to death of my wife, so I got her flowers and a card. Or my motive was, I just didn't want to fight, so I made sure to get her flowers and a card, or my motive was, well, I wanted to be intimate later that night, so I got her flowers and a card. Or my motive was just, you know what, this is just what you do, and I fulfilled my end of the bargain. That's what I did. Imagine if that was my motive. See, all of that, she would read my motive, and she would not think, wow, I feel loved. She wouldn't. Because the real motivator of love is not, I kept the laws of Valentine's Day, right? Right? The real motivator of love is I celebrate you, I dig you, I'm blessed to have you, I can't wait to make much of you, here's a gift that's an extension of something deeper in me because that's where I'm at. That's the real heart. That's being motivated by love, not motivated by law. When you obey the speed limit and pay your taxes, it's not because you love Jay Inslee, we know, right? It's just what you do because that's the law. But love is far and away different. And this is what Jesus says when we do the stuff that we do, it's not obedience for the sake of law-keeping, it's obedience for the sake of love-giving. In other words, what John is going to push is not a religious approach to life, it's a relational approach to life. A relationship to God, a relationship to one another. So it's being empowered by a relationship with God so we can do relationship with one another better and relationship with our world better. Like all of that is what John is kind of swirling in his message. But here's why I want to also be clear He doesn't put this on our plate to make our lives harder. Because you could start to think that, oh great, now I gotta love my community around me. Some of them are just difficult, Matt. It doesn't make my life better. Yes, it does. I honestly believe that life is better. with Jesus means when we do it his way, life is better. And in this, when we do it his way, life is fuller. Because in this, he wants to dispense something in us as we are tethered to him. Because if his words are life, he is the word of life. He is abundant life. He is eternal life. Then he knows something about the best way to live life. And before John had met Jesus, his life was average. And after he meets Jesus, his life is extraordinary, right? Not because the circumstances have gotten better. In fact, you read John's story. His circumstances got worse. But something deep in him, man, he went, that's where life is at. When I do it like Jesus, I don't have to worry about circumstances working to my advantage. I just realize that, man, life is deeper doing things his way. I believe it's deeper because of something that Jesus says after he talks about vines and branches and remaining and loving and obeying. He says this. He says, I have told you these things about all of that so that you will be filled with my joy. And yes, your joy will overflow, not just for yourself, but for those around you. That's kind of the idea. And so it doesn't surprise me then that John writing a commentary on this gospel where Jesus says, man, if you do it my way, I'm going to give you joy. He writes and he says, man, I'm writing to this, to you about these things so that you may fully share in this joy that I've sensed and experienced. That you will remain in God's love, that you will obey God's commands in the spirit of love, that you will stay tethered to Jesus so that you can be a community of love that loves the community around you in love because that's our oneness, and that is our witness. See, doing all this Jesus stuff, living like Jesus, it's very counterintuitive, because it looks like you're giving up life. It looks like you're suddenly taking on all these new rules, and it's not about you, it's about him, and it's about others, and and it looks like it could just really suck your life away. But what we see in this counterintuitive way is that, no, this is the way that life is truly dispensed to us. And so what we see is the things that we most desperately want as human beings, things like joy and love, sense of life. John's saying, I I, I know where it's at. It's in the person of Jesus, doing the stuff of Jesus, loving the world like Jesus, living like Jesus in this world that may not always love what they see, and then loving them despite that. He says it's in that weird mix that, man, we know him, And we're moved by him. Let's go and pray together. Now, there may be some in this room where you're like, man, I I, I don't follow Jesus in that way. I've never followed Jesus in that way. Maybe I've never had my life uh, be committed to really learning from and living by this person that came into the world that is God for us. But maybe today you sense that you want to follow him. Well, this is for you then a prayer right where you're at in your seat. You just simply say, Jesus, uh, I know that you are God. I know that you came for me, you lived for me, you died for me because you love me. And I wanna follow in your ways. I want to be riveted by your love. I wanna be uh, in community with you so I can be the most effective person in my community in your name. That I can love well, that I can live boldly. I can have deep joy. If you make that your prayer in your way he hears you, brings you to the family, we would love to know that that was the prayer you made today. You'll see a number on the screen when your eyes open here in a second. You can just text, I decided to follow Jesus to that number. We would love to know if you made that your prayer. For the rest of us men, I hope you join me in this prayer. Jesus, help us because the challenge I find in reading John is it feels, I love to use the idea, it's like trying to get a bucket of steam. It it, it can be so elusive in in, in this kind of philosophy of life that John is promoting. This philosophy that leans into relying on you daily, that is motivated by love, not simply law, that wants to obey because there's such deep joy and fulfillment in those spaces, even when life is difficult. I pray that you show us and convince us uh, that this way really is better that real faith is about trusting your way of life and living that way out to the world around us. Help us to to really look like you because we rely on you because we love you. I thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to us. Even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And we praise you for such great love and grace and your kindness to us in your name, amen.